It is during this situation of insecurity, violence, that some people decided to kill my brother, my younger brother. My younger brother was a businessman, a successful businessman, and he was also a good man. He was a good man who um, always uh, helped people. Those who were suffering, those who were in need, he liked to, he, he loved to help them. So he became popular among the, the average people. And of course, he was not loved by everybody. When my brother was killed, I am the one who was pursuing the case at the court of justice. So I wanted the court to investigate those people who killed my younger brother. And of course, they couldn't uh, let me do that. So they really threatened to kill me. More than five times they came to my house at night, but God didn't allow them to uh, break the gate and to get into the house. So when those uh, threats multiplied, I decided to leave the country because I feared for my life. My wife is uh, back in Africa, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and uh, she's there with uh, my children. It was not easy for them to see me leave, because they knew the dangers we were going through as a family, not only me as an individual, but as a family. So. When I left, they felt as if they were abandoned. After I left, the people who were threatening us, they kept threatening my wife and uh, my children. So my wife decided to leave my hometown with my kids and they fled to different parts of the country. They had to leave everything for their safety. I came to the United States, um, I knew that uh, I came to a place of safety, a place of freedom, a place uh, where I could be able to bring my family and forget all those uh, different threats. So I was looking for asylum in, the, in America. But my um, application has been denied by the, the immigration services and they want me to go back to uh, my country. There's nothing else I can do. I only trust God. But these um, difficulties, hardships, suffering, have helped me to know who 
who God is. Even in the moment when I felt desperate, when I felt that they were there was no way up, when I felt down, but God was there to lift me up, to strengthen my faith, and to give me joy one more time. As time go by, I can say that uh, my faith is growing. My faith is growing. If I'm um, forced to go back uh, to the Democratic Republic of Congo, I know life will not be easy. Finance-wise, uh, I will have to look for a job. But I'm much interested in ministry. I'm a pastor. And if I go back, I will start preaching the word of God again in my country. Going back to Africa, for me, it's a mixed feeling. I think God has a plan for me uh, in my country. I love my country. And I would like to help my country uh, develop. I know I can do something for my country. I'm excited to at least uh, reunite with my family after more than five and a half years uh, away from them. But at the same, at the same time, uh, I still have memories of the threats of those people who want to kill me. So, it's difficult. My name is uh, Benjamin Kisoni, for those who don't know me. Um, I want to thank the church for praying for me. As you see, this video was shot when I was under the threat to be deported. But now, God answered your prayers. They gave me two more years. It means in 2017, that's when I will go back to the before the immigration judge and see what he decides. So let's keep praying, but we thank God for the two more years that he has given me. Thank you very much for your prayers. Today we will study an important theme that will help us in our Christian journey. We all know that our faith in Jesus Christ always comes with a series of difficult questions. Questions for which sometimes answers seem far away. And this situation can lead 
to disillusion, to disappointment with God, or even to embracing uh, some false teachings. It is true that we will never have all the answers to our problems when we are still in this life. But still, some answers are within our reach in the Word of God. So, it needs courage on our part to see how effective these answers are to help us grow in the knowledge of God and in our relationship with Christ. Today we will focus on the believer's new position and new identity in Christ and we will see the impact, the implication of this truth in our daily lives. The believer's new position and new identity in Christ and the impact in our daily lives. So, let's read in um, Colossians chapter 1. We'll start from verse 1 to verse uh, 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. It says this, Paul, the an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of you, of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid for you, laid up for you in heaven, and of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it is even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in, in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of Sins. That was the word of God. In this passage, the Apostle Paul explains to believers in the church of Colossae about 
the redemption work and its implication. About the work of salvation and its implication. We will focus on verses 13 and 14, which wrap up uh, the whole idea. And understanding this truth, as I said before, is very crucial for a victorious Christian life. A victorious and fruitful Christian life. The more we understand our new position and our new identity in Christ, the less we will, be, we will believe Satan's lies and be defeated in our daily struggle and vice versa. As we know, Colossae was a town in uh, Asia Minor, the modern-day Turkey. And the church there was facing different unidentified false teaching, borrowed probably from the surrounding culture. These heresies mixed up Jewish legalism, Greek philosophical uh, philosophy and speculations, and also oriental mysticism. It means it's difficult from this book because Paul didn't uh, reveal those heresies. But through the way he emphasizes some truth, some doctrinal truth, we can know, we can discover what those heresies were. So, throughout the book of Colossians, Paul insists on the uniqueness and centrality of Christ. He also denounces, he exposes the practice of asceticism, which considered the body as evil. And for this doctrine, for this teaching, God didn't care about the material world. Paul also teaches against the worship of angels or any other celestial beings. The whole system tended to limit the greatness and the authority of Christ and the sufficiency of, the reden of his redemption. So, what Christ did for us, no other man or woman no things, no philosophy can do for us. So, in today's culture, there is a risk to be diverted from the truth of the Word of God and to embrace human philosophies. And these philosophies, they are not denying Christ. They are not denying Christ. But they are subtly dethroning Him. They are subtly robbing him of his rightful place of preeminence. So, as Christians, we need to be very, very careful. Now, let's see how Paul develops some points. After introducing himself, Paul talks about the transformation and growth that had occurred in these believers' lives when they heard the gospel. And he calls them, the saints, because they were set apart for God. Now, first we will see the power of the gospel. The gospel that Paul is talking about here. We see that the proclamation of the gospel, the word of God, 
had produced hope that was stored for them in heaven and on which their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints were established. Their faith and love were established on the hope they had that was stored for them in heaven. Their faith and their sacrificial and and indiscriminate love for all the saints was an evidence of the Christian character of of that church of Colossians. And the reason for their growth was the the hope that was that they possessed, but that they did they, they hadn't experienced yet, because it was hope in the future, and it was laid up for them in heaven. It means faith towards God and love towards others grow out of hope. Without hope. There is no reason for faith and love. Because in that case, everything is directed to ourselves and to our world. We need hope so that our faith and love can be well established. The Colossians had the privilege of hearing and understanding God's grace in all its truth. If you read in verse 6, that's what Paul says. And the word of truth. This word of truth was preached to them by Epaphras. And Paul calls him a faithful servant of Christ. So, this prerequisite, that means hearing the word of God, understanding it, because it was preached by a faithful servant of God, had produced good results in their lives. The gospel was bearing fruit. And it was growing. And it was causing the testimony of their faith to spread out. So, Paul shows that this same gospel was bearing fruit and growing wherever it was being preached. That means the word of God, the gospel, has power. I remember last Friday, there's a lady who told one of my friends that she's born again, she believes in Jesus Christ, but she doesn't believe in the Bible. Now the question is, how can anyone believe in Jesus Christ who is preached in the scripture and not believe in the scripture? It's absurd. And that's what's happening in today's culture. What is the foundation of the gospel that had produced transformation in the lives of many? Paul defines it in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. He says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And he goes on and says, For I delivered to you as as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, 
according to the scripture. So the message of the gospel, the word of truth, has the power to transform the lives of those who believe in it. This power, no man-made philosophy can give. No man-made philosophy has this power to transform, to change lives. The second thing he talked about was about prayer. Since Paul and his companion heard through Epaphras about the Colossians' faith in Christ and their spiritual progress, they started thanking God, praising Him, and praying for them. And Paul uses different synonyms for prayer here to demonstrate its importance for believers. He says, for instance, give thanks. He says pray. He says he uses ask. And if we read the third verse, Paul shows that their prayers were continual. And they were addressed to God and they were intercessory prayers. He says this, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always, that means it was continual, for you, that means it was an intercession on behalf of the Colossians. Now, what was the content of the prayer? What was uh, Paul and his uh, companion praying for? He says that he was praying that God would fill those believers with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. For non-believers, knowledge could be attained, knowledge could be gained by the initiation in some esoteric mysteries. But for Christians, Knowledge, the true knowledge of God's will comes from God himself, not from anything else. They also prayed that the Colossians might walk or live in a manner worthy of the Lord and please him in all respects. This prayer was directed to transformation of character and witnessing in, the, in this dark world. As believers, we are not there to escape or withdraw from life. But we are there to meet life and live in this world as we ought to. The world wants to see the Lord in us. So we need to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. They also prayed that the Colossians might bear fruit in every good work, and grow in their knowledge of God. Despite their progress, Paul kept praying for their continual growth. Why? Because spiritual status quo is not healthy in Christian life. False teachers promoted false knowledge. And the antidote for this was for their heresy was a deeper and richer understanding, knowledge of the truth concerning Jesus Christ. 
Today, there are so many things going on. And as Christians, we shouldn't be confused. And how can we stand firm in our faith? It is by knowing the word of God, by knowing Christ, by growing in the knowledge of God. That's all. Nothing else. Our human philosophy, reasoning, understanding cannot help us in today's struggles. Only the knowledge of the word of God. Paul also prayed that the Colossians might have great endurance and patience and joyfully be thankful to the Father. Believers have the power to persevere. And it's not only to persevere, but to joyfully persevere and to be thankful in difficult circumstances. And Paul weighed every word that he used. Because we know that perseverance is not always joyful. This is possible only by the power of God working in us. Now, here is the question. Was it necessary for Paul to write to these believers that he had been praying for them? There is nothing that gives me joy than when I hear that a brother or a sister in Christ is praying for me. Why? Because I believe in the power of prayer. I've seen it work in my life several times. Of course, there are always tricky questions concerning prayer. Can prayer change God's plan? And I've heard many people say, if I don't pray, things will still happen as God has planned. But, Let's be careful, because it is the same God, the same sovereign God, almighty God, that tells us in his word that we need to pray without ceasing. Also, if you read in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and gave them a pattern to follow. This shows how God values believers so greatly that he is willing to have them participate in some of his plan in this world. I remember last year in November, around 1 a.m., I just got up from sleep, and an inner voice told me, get up and pray. As you know, 1 a.m. with sleep, I said, no, not now. But the voice kept telling me, wake up and pray, get up and pray, get up and pray. Finally, I got up and prayed, started praying, praying, praying. And I decided to take that day, it was Friday and Saturday, in prayer. The same day, in the evening, I received a text message from my wife. She said, one of our daughters has just escaped those who wanted to kill them. She was coming from um, the campus with her uh, friends, and they met these thugs who were armed with knives. And they mugged everything. But before they harmed them, there was another group of students that came, and those thugs uh, fled away. So, prayer is very important. And it works. So when 
Paul insists on the power of prayer, it is because he knows how prayer is very important and how it works. Now, the last point he develops is about our new position, the new position of believers, new position and new identity in Christ. Paul urged the Colossians to give thanks for their new position and new identity in Christ. Through the work of Christ, believers are spiritually rescued and transferred from one position to another. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, verse 6, Paul says, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He, God, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We were brought from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. And in Christ we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. It's a free act of grace. And it combines here God's justice and God's mercy. As sinners, we deserved God's wrath. But he bestowed his mercy on our favor. Now, this should compel us to always thank God for his great love for us. Knowing that we are secure under the Lordship of Christ. Our new spiritual position is in Christ. And our new identity is we are children of God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And since there are always questions concerning the believer's new position and identity in Christ, Let's be practical by answering some two questions. The first one is this. If we are in Christ, why do we still struggle with sins? We have been transferred spiritually in the kingdom of light. But physically, we are still living in this fallen world with all its problems and temptations. We are no longer under the rule of Satan or of sin to obey them, but we are under the Lordship of Christ. But we still have choices to make. We can choose to obey Christ, or we can choose to follow the cravings of the flesh. And what are the different purposes that Satan has when he fights against us. First of all, he doesn't want us to be fruitful for Christ. And he will do all he can to prevent us to be fruitful. Second, he presses the feeling of guilt for our past sins, our past messes, so that we can be powerless for God's kingdom, for the kingdom of Christ. But let's remember one thing. We are not defined by our past, but by the grace of God. 
So we shouldn't let anything or anybody draw us back to where we don't belong anymore. We don't belong to the dominion of darkness anymore. We are children of God. So, as Hebrew uh, chapter 12 verse 2 says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And also, uh, Philippians 3, 12 to 14 says, let's press on towards the goal and forget what is behind. Because we have become new creations in Christ. And the, third, the last thing, Satan doesn't want us, sorry, Satan doesn't want non-believers to see the light of Christ in believers' lives. Because he knows, Satan knows, that when non-believers see good things, see the light in the lives of believers, they can turn away from their sin, from their evil ways, and accept Christ. So, it pleases Satan when non-believers say, we don't see any difference between believers and us. Now, the second question is this. Since we are in Christ, why are we still enduring different injustice in this world? Why are we suffering from disease, from broken relationship, from emotional and financial struggles? Why? Let's be reminded that our new position and identity in Christ is not synonym of a problem-free life. No. God has not promised that. God wants us to be a living testimony that he has the power to sustain the believer's faith even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And this is contrary to the theology that Satan believes, of which we have uh, an example in Job chapter 1, verse 9 and 11. When God commanded Job before Satan, Satan's response was, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. That's the theology that Satan believes. He believed that Job feared God because he had a good and easy life. Does Satan believe the same thing about you or about me? Let us prove him that he is wrong. Also, when God allows suffering, hardship, persecution in our lives, he wants us to understand that this world, with its pleasures and pains, is not all that is. Through different life circumstances, we are taught to shift our eyes and mind from the temporal perspective of things that we see and feel 
to the eternal perspective of unseen things. Things that we see by faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, For momentary, like affliction, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So God allows hardships in our lives so that we can see things by faith and not stick to the things which are seen. And the last thing, God allows us to go through hardship because he wants to show the power of his word in the lives of those who obey it. Today, not too many people who confess to be Christians believe in the power of the word of God. We always want to rely on our own strength and understanding when dealing with life's trials. But, If we stand firm on God's promises in the midst of trials, it brings glory to his name. And it testifies to the world that his word, his word is truth. So, as believers, our new position is in Christ. And our new identity is we are children of God. This is a privilege. That we were granted by God's grace and for which we should always rejoice. No matter what happens in our lives, good, bad, or ugly, we shouldn't forget that we no longer belong to the dominion of darkness. Our sins have been forgiven and our victory was won at Calvary. All we need to do is walk live in that victory with Christ. We need to live in that victory uh, with Christ in obedience to his leading. We need to pray that we may grow in the knowledge of God and that we may bear fruit. And also, we need to believe in the transforming power of the word of God. So, my brothers and sisters, Let us know that we have a new position. We are no longer slaves to the dominion of darkness. We have been freed. We have been liberated. We are children of light. And we have this privilege that we can pray. Because we are children of God, we can pray. And he answers prayer. And we know that His word has the power to transform our lives. You may be struggling struggling with something and you think that the word of God cannot do anything. The word of God is power. It has the power to do things in our lives. As Paul has testified in the lives of the Colossians. So, we thank God for this privilege that we have to belong to him. And if anyone has not taken that decision to accept Christ in his life, 
It means all these things, they are not part of his life. But this is for all those who have accepted Christ in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your message. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the privilege that you have given us. We thank you for rescuing us from the dominion of darkness and transferring us in the kingdom of your Son. Thank you, Lord, because we are secure in Christ. We thank you for the new identity you gave us. We are called children of God, children of the Most High. Lord, this is a privilege that we didn't deserve. Help us to know you more. Help us to grow, Lord, in the, the knowledge of, of your word. And help us to bear fruit in this dark world. Lord, we thank you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Benjamin. We're very poignant and a timely message. Um, we'll do something a little different for this song. We'll keep the lights down. And I want to invite you to stay seated. And maybe something that Benjamin said has stirred your heart. Maybe encourage you to really... Yes, 